series called Words from the Mountain. And, and what, here's what we're doing. We're traveling around on this mountain, following Jesus in all these places. And in each place we arrive, he's teaching us something new about what it means to be a Christian. And what he's been teaching us here recently is what it means to be authentic in your faith, what it means to not be a hypocrite. And he's been talking specifically about prayer. And Jesus doesn't want us to be hypocritical in our prayer life. He wants to be, us to be authentic in our prayers. And today we see what it, what it means to be authentic in your prayer in such a way that you are praying for forgiveness, both for you and others, and how that is essential to produce flourishing in many ways. And here's what we're going to do. We've got four points today. We're going to look at forgiveness and spiritual flourishing, forgiveness and emotional flourishing, forgiveness and relational flourishing, and then forgiveness and even cultural flourishing. So I'm going to read this prayer. When the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, how should we pray? He says, pray like this. And then I'm going to read the next two verses after that that talk specifically about forgiveness. So Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father, your Heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we've been giving a definition of prayer each week. And the definition this week, each line that we're looking at, and the definition this week is to go to God... And pray to him, go to God like he's your heavenly father, your father in heaven, and ask him to forgive you in such a way that now you have the strength and power to forgive others. Let me say it again. You're going to God like he is your heavenly father, asking him to forgive you in such a way that now you have the power and strength to forgive others. So we're on our first point, forgiveness and spiritual flourishing, and here's what I want to tell you. You can't forgive anyone, and this might sound crazy to some of you, but you can't forgive anyone unless you are already flourishing spiritually. Now, you can give a false appearance of forgiveness, but true, authentic forgiveness, you can't do it unless you are already in a state of spiritual flourishing. In fact, your ability to forgive others, you've got to see this as a litmus test to what your spiritual condition is. So the same way that a plane is meant to fly, but it can't fly unless it has fuel to get it off the ground, the same way that you can't, you're human, and humanity, you're meant to forgive. You, in fact, you can't walk through this life and do well without forgiving others. So you're meant to do it, and your spiritual flourishing is your fuel to be able to forgive others. And the order is incredibly important to not mess up. So when I read it, it sounded very much like the order goes like this. I forgive other people, and now God forgives me. Here's the problem, though. When you look all throughout Scripture, what is very clear 
here is that you come first. Your spiritual flourishing comes first. You, you become a Christian. You're forgiven. The Holy Spirit is then deposited into your soul. And now you have this ability and the strength to forgive others and to live the way that God's called you to live. So the order is first. He forgives you. Now, why is Jesus doing it in this order? Because he's holding a mirror up to you. He's holding a mirror up to say, what's your spiritual condition look like? And if you can't forgive, then it's likely that you've never actually tasted true forgiveness. And, I mean, this is all throughout the Bible, by the way. Paul talks about, and let me show you, Paul talks about you are saved by faith alone. And then James comes on the scene, and James is like, no, 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 you're saved by faith in your works. So which is it? Well, here's what James is saying. James is saying you are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone, but by a faith that produces a flourishing spiritual life, which means you have all these works pouring out of you, one of which is forgiveness. And Jesus is pressing in very hard on you here, and he's saying, look, is there anyone that you haven't forgiven? Then forgive them. And if you can't forgive them, then you are suffering spiritually. So how do you get to the point to where you're flourishing spiritually? You have to actually taste true forgiveness from God. And once you do, you take the plunge into the well of forgiveness that's offered to you. You you need to learn to swim in the forgiveness that you have. Like frolic in it, like this big smile on your face, the same way a kid is playing in the pool. That's what it should be like to experience the forgiveness that we're giving in Christ. And see... You're never going to flourish spiritually if you don't have forgiveness. Why? Because our sin has cut us off from God. And the only way we flourish is to come back to God. We need to be with Him, but our sin has cut us off. And so we need forgiveness in order to get back to Him. So for the Christian and the skeptic alike, so if you're a Christian, your sin still messes with you. And you're prone to wander. You leave the God that you love. And when you do, you pray this prayer. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Okay, well, what does that do? That drives you right back to God. You're wandering around. You're like, oh, God, look at, look at me. I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And you're driven back to God. And then you experience spiritual flourishing again. It's drawing you back to the God you love, this prayer. And if you're skeptical... This is bringing you to the place to where now you're being offered this, this offer to jump into the pool of forgiveness and just swim around and enjoy it. The reason that your heart is restless, unsatisfied, is because your sin has cut you off from God. And this prayer is a call to come back to Him. The reason that you lack contentment is because you're cut off from God, and this prayer is a way to get back to Him, to say, God, please forgive me for what I've done. And it's not that you, it's not that you didn't have, if you're already a Christian, you're forgiven, but you've forgotten you're forgive, what you've been forgiven. And so as you go and you ask God for this forgiveness, you're brought back to Him. You're asking for the forgiveness that's already been promised to you. You need to go to God, though. Otherwise, you start experiencing depression, anxiety, you lack joy, and you lack peace because you're cut off from the one who helps you flourish spiritually.
So how do you get back to him? Well, this prayer is a meant a way to get back to him. Forgiveness, this prayer, this prayer of forgiveness draws you back to God. The same way like a lost dog is sniffing out its home and finally catches the scent of its home and takes off running back to its home. The same way that we have lost, we're lost without God and we're sniffing out trying to find forgiveness is finally we catch the scent of forgiveness. We look up and we go running and we're, we're met by Christ who welcomes us with open arms and says you are forgiven. And see, before you find forgiveness... In Christ, you're in a prison, and you have no idea that you're in a prison. How could you? It's all that you've experienced. Maybe people could tell you about what's outside of the prison, but you've never experienced it, so you don't know. But then when you find forgiveness, here's what happens. It's like his, his death. His death was the key that opened up the prison, but also here's what happens. I mean, he's your savior, so he's ripping open the prison gates. He's coming and he's lifting you up and he's taking you out into freedom and he sets you down and he says, okay, now your true story starts now. Now your real adventure starts now. And he says, follow me, we're going back home. And so you set off and you start following him. And you're, you know, you're invited to wander around a bit as you follow him. And sometimes you get a little bit too far lost. And this prayer of forgiveness is what reminds you that you've got to go back to him. And as you're wandering around, this is what happens. But guess what? He's never got his eyes off of you. Once you're his, you're in his grip. He's your shepherd and he's not going to let you go. Like we sang about, he leaves, leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's got his eyes on you if you are in him, if you have gone to him. And he's not going to let you go. And so if you're a Christian, you start wandering around. But he's got his eyes on you. And he's saying, pray. Like, pray to the Father. You have access to him. And so when you're doubting, pray. When you're struggling through trials, pray. Go be with him. The prayer is the reminder. He's never lost you, and he never will. But the prayer is the call for you to go back to him. And You've been given this gift of forgiveness. It's a gift. And it's now it's your responsibility to play with the gift. Now it's your responsibility to enjoy the gift. And not just let it sit there, but to enjoy God and what he's given you. Here's what I mean by that. You are meant to be in a community of people who are all enjoying this forgiveness together. And you're learning what it means to return to the God that you love. And you're learning what it means to seek out God and forgiveness from him. And you're learning what it means. So you gotta get you gotta come here on Sundays. You gotta be in a discipleship group. You gotta be able to call people and be like, look, here's my sin, here's what I'm struggling with today. Pray with me. You're not in it alone. Stop being a lone ranger. And whether you are in a prison looking for God or set free, you're struggling to follow Christ, and you need habits that are going to bring you back to Him. Now, once you do this, you begin to flourish spiritually, but not just that, you start to flourish emotionally. So a mistake that so many people make is they don't think that Christianity has an impact on your emotional health and flourishing. Your emotional state actually is an indicator of what's going on in your soul. Now, I'm not saying 
that Christians are the most emotionally healthy people? Some of you are crazy. But what I'm saying is that when you become a Christian, step by step by step, you become healthier and healthier emotionally. You're growing in emotional health. This is not an argument that you shouldn't take medication if your doctor's telling you to take medication. This is not an argument that if your doctor says, hey, you should probably live a little bit more healthy, maybe eat better, maybe do some exercising. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But I am saying that if you want to flourish spiritually, if you want to flourish emotionally, you have to have spiritual health. In fact, guilt and shame will mess with you bad. When someone's done something they know is wrong, what, there's a trend that has started that says, okay, well, you know what? You've had these experiences in your life, and your life has been hard. And there's stuff going on in your brain that we don't understand. And so, you know, I know that you've done wrong, but it's okay. It's, don't think of it like a sin. Don't think of it really like you've done anything wrong. This is just kind of what it's been like for you, and this is what this environment produces, and this is what's going on in your brain. This is what it produces. And so here's the problem with that. What, you're, what, what, what is being said is, look, don't feel guilty for what you've done. Don't feel shame for what you've done. Here's the problem. You can't trick people into not feeling guilt or shame. It's there, and it's a reality. Each and every one of us have done something wrong that we feel guilt and we feel tremendous shame about. And if you think that just turning your mind off to it or, or just saying, you know what, this is just, it's my experiences, and you blame it on everything else, you're going to continue to feel the weight of your guilt and shame, and it's never going to go away. As much as you want to hide it, it's always ticking around in the back of your brain. You can't escape from it. It's going to destroy you emotionally. So what ends up happening is you, because I know you have guilt and shame in your life, it starts like weighing on your neck. You start feeling it on your shoulders, and it starts pulling on you more and more, and you say, okay, I'm just going to ignore this, and the weight gets more and more. Next thing you know, you're slumped over, you've become depressed, you feel guilty, and it's not going away. And here's what you need. You need to hear from the one that you've done wrong to, that you are forgiven. You need to hear from the one who holds the authority of what you've done wrong to, you need to hear, it's, it's okay, you are completely forgiven all is well. Now, if that doesn't change, it's going to mess you up emotionally. So, who have you sinned against? Who do you need to ask to forgive you? Now, what I want you to do is to not think of a person. Let me read something to you. The story of King David. So King David um, has done two major things. He's committed adultery, and he's murdered the man that he committed adultery against his, his wife. So this thing happens, and he says, okay, he brings the husband back from war and says, okay, go, go be with your wife. And he's trying to get him to sleep with his wife, but it's not working because his, his friends are in war. He's not going to do this. So he goes back and David says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send him to the front line so he's killed. So essentially David murders him. And then David is just, he's fine. He's good with it. And then his friend Nathan the prophet comes up and he tells David a story. And he says, David, 
let me tell you a story about this man who's done great wrong. And so he tells David the story, and David is mad. He says, I can't believe someone's done this. So he, and then Nathan, his friend, says, David, you're that man. And then all of a sudden, like a ton of bricks, David, for whatever reason, didn't feel the weight of it before, and now feels all of the weight of what he's done, and he's feeling crushed underneath the weight of his guilt and his shame. And then listen to the prayer he prays. In Psalm 51, he says something weird. He says, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, that's weird. He's just killed somebody. He's clearly sinned against this man. But he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. And what, he's, what David has realized that we all need to realize is that every time we sin, the chief person that we are sinning against with the authority is God himself. So he's the one that we need forgiveness from. And so David goes on, and look what he says in Psalm 51. He says, restore in me the joy of salvation. He's saying that he can, all that he's done, he can have joy still if he has forgiveness in the salvation that is offered to him by God. So, the guilt can be lifted. The shame can be lifted. See, like David and you, the sin is more than you can bear. And perhaps David wasn't thinking clearly. He didn't realize what he's done. Maybe he justified it in some way. Maybe it was just hidden to him, but then all of a sudden he feels the weight of it, but he knows what to do. He knows to go to God, and God will completely clear him. And the weight's lifted, and he's joyful again. In fact, you might argue that now there's a joy that David knows that he would not have known had he not realized the weight of his guilt and shame. And you know, I've seen this before when... When people hear about Christianity and they come to believe it, it's like in that moment, a weight is lifted. I've seen this happen a few times where people, like they're literally feeling their arms and they're saying like, I feel different now. And what I got to believe that is, is that's got to be this guilt and the shame being lifted up off of them, where they now realize it's just, I feel different. The weight's lifted. And here's something that's fascinating. So there's this studies that show what guilt and shame will do to you, and guilt and shame will actually affect you not only emotionally but physically, where you become exhausted by the guilt and the shame that you feel, and so you're more tired. You don't work as hard. Working out sounds exhausting. Some of you guys are yawning right now. You might have some guilt and shame in your life. Um, so your spiritual flourishing will have an effect on you emotionally, but actually even physically as well. And that emotional flourishing will lead to something else, your, your relational flourishing. So why, are you, why do you become relationally flourishing when you are spiritually flourishing? Well, the, the spiritually flourishing person is emotionally healthy, and emotionally healthy people are better at relationships. It's just, it's just fact. But here's also why. If you are going to flourish in your relationships, you have to be able to forgive others. You cannot walk through this life without forgiving people. If you try to do that, you will be alone. So our verse says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now the focus of this prayer is not just you getting forgiveness from God, but you forgiving those who've wronged you. And 
if you can't forgive, your marriages will suffer, your friendships will suffer, your work relationships will suffer, your friendships aren't going to last. In fact, maybe you have done wrong to somebody and you've asked them for forgiveness and they're not forgiving you. You have to forgive them for not forgiving you. Otherwise, you're sinning too. Your, your relationships with your parents will suffer if you can't forgive them. And you won't be able to move on. And then resentment will set in. Anger. And then you'll become separated. And then the relationship is done for. And here's the problem. Forgiveness is so hard. Why is forgiveness so hard? Because it's costly. There's a death involved when you have to forgive. You're dying to yourself. You're dying to your ego. You're dying to your pride. But if you don't forgive, your soul begins to be crushed under the weight of what someone has done wrong to you. And you become suffocated under it. You become consumed by it like an elephant sitting on your chest. The weight grows and grows and grows. All these sins that have been committed against you. And then here's what happens. You actually will end up suffering more, not from the people who have sinned against you, but from your lack of ability to forgive them. That will hurt you more in the end than what they've done to you. And beyond that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to see them in public. And you're going to be like, oh no, there they are. And you're going to see them across the room. Oh man, do I go talk to them? I don't know. Should I talk to them? No, I can't talk to them. And it's just going to become weird. And then there's going to, they're going to be in a group of friends that you're friends with. And so now you've got to go over there. And you go over there, but you don't really talk to them. And now everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're together. This is so weird. And then here's what happens. Your friendship groups begin to divide. Because they're taking sides. You get further and further and further away. It's happened, this can happen in the church. It's happened in churches. Someone sins against someone else. They can't forgive them. And then division happens. Wrecks, wrecks relationships. You know, and, this is, and, and it's common to happen in churches. Why would it be common? Because the church is like a family. You've got to forgive in your families. You've got to forgive here. The ability, your ability to have flourishing relationships is absolutely dependent upon your ability to forgive. And if you can't do it, every single relationship you have will suffer. Look, you got to deal with the reality. You know, your friends, they're going to gossip about you. It's going to happen. Even though we all know it's wrong, it's going to happen. They're going to say something about you. Something's going to happen. Something's going to be done. You have to be able to forgive or else you will never have friends. It's just easy. I mean, it's hard, but it's easy. And it extends even further. It's not just relational, but cultural flourishing is even dependent upon your ability to forgive. Now, why would I say that? Well, forgiveness is not about turning a blind eye to justice. God does not turn a blind eye to justice to forgive us. In fact, the eye of justice is directed right at Christ on the cross. 
and he bears all of our guilt and shame and our sin on the cross, and he's punished for it. His, the wrath of the Father is coming down on him so it doesn't come on us. And so it's not that God isn't being just. His just is redirected somewhere else. And so forgiveness and justice are both lifted up for God, and we have to do the same thing. It doesn't mean we don't seek justice. But in order to seek justice the proper way, you must be able to forgive these social injustices that you see, these social wrongs that you see. You must approach it with forgiveness or else you will vilify the other side. You will turn them into something that they aren't. And there will cause more division and it will become a bigger fight and it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. And then the next thing you know, we got a war. Now, I over-exaggerated a little bit, but maybe not. If you want our world to change, you have to start with being able to forgive people and then you know how to handle things that need to be done in the name of justice. Otherwise, you will never actually care for those people who have done wrong and you'll never want them to do better. You'll just end up wanting them dead. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, you're killing them. Now, if you don't know how to do this, you don't know how to forgive, here's what you got to do. You just got to follow the footsteps of Christ, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very people he came to save murdered him, and as they are murdering him, he is saying, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Christ is, advocate, is an advocate for you. I mean, you understand this. Your sins are what sent him to the cross. So he, in a way, is praying that prayer for you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't realize that their sin has sent me here. Forgive them. And when you struggle to forgive, you have to remember that you have a God who you've sinned against far worse than any have sinned against you. And when you realize that, and you realize that that the guilt and shame have been lifted off of you, you can start doing that to others. In fact, all these people that sinned against you, you're like this. Guilt and shame off. Guilt and shame off. Guilt and shame off. And you're just like... Flipping it off of people, not flicking people up, but you're flipping it, flipping it off of people, and all the guilt and shame is gone because you're forgiving them. And they're seeing it, and they're saying, where is this coming from? And it's coming from your spiritual health, because first you have found the forgiveness that you needed in Christ. The Christian understands the debt that was lifted off of them. When you get it, when you really understand that debt that you've been freed from, it makes it way easier to forgive others. And if you don't do it, it's going to crush you. You have to realize that Jesus felt the weight of sin and shame upon him like an elephant squishing his chest. Do you know when he was crucified, do you know what happens when you're actually crucified? The weight of hanging there makes it harder and harder to breathe. Like his lungs are being crushed in a way. And so in order for him to take a breath every time, if you're, if you're hanging on a cross, you have to push up. But he's hanging by nails, and so he has to push into the nails that are through his feet and pull up on the nails that are through his wrists in order for him to take a breath. And we say, wow, that is, that is incredibly torturous, and it is nothing compared to the spiritual suffering he experiences, where literally he takes on our guilt, our sin, 
and our shame and then is crushed. So our guilt and shame will be dealt with. The eye of justice is directed right at him on the cross. Justice is satisfied so that we can have forgiveness. When you realize that, forgiving people becomes a joy because you're living like your Savior. There's nothing better to do. You are so in awe of the glory of God who's willing to do that for you that you say, ah, I can't wait to forgive other people. It's a joy for me, you say. Father, we pray that we would be people who forgive, that we would be a church that's filled with forgiveness. God, I pray that if there are people in this room who need to forgive others, which I know that there is, God, that you would give them the strength to do it by going and seeing how you've already forgiven them. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to ask someone for forgiveness, that you would urge them to do it. And God, I pray especially that if we have sinned against you and we've been avoiding you because of our sin, I pray that we would come running to you knowing that you will forgive us. And so boldly, God, we would confess our sins, saying, God, here are my sins, and I am so sorry. Now teach me how to live as you have designed me to. And God, when we mess up, come chase us down. Remind us that your eye has not left us. Because the eye of justice was satisfied on the cross, now all we get is the eye of our shepherd who loves us and cares for us. Make that real to us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.